2020 has been a pretty garbage year for everyone. But as we close this year out for good and look forward, I do want to highlight something good that happened. A lot of great music came out this year. It's true, the music industry and the arts in general are no doubt one of the hardest hit economically speaking during this pandemic. A lot of artists losing money, some bands even breaking up because they can't tour. But with hardship comes innovation and great art. So let's take a little bit of a look back this year and explore some of the good that happened in music on The Tim Gavin Show. A holistic look at music and pop culture. With any major catastrophe, you're naturally going to find someone using that sense of fear and uncertainty to create art. Kind of leave a snapshot of the times. In fact, we've had more time than ever to do that this year, whether it be baking, photography, writing, or making music. And quite a few artists have managed to put together some decent works related to COVID-19 in some way. One of the most in-your-face-about-it releases is at least one of the most amusing, too. Chromio released an EP back in June called Quarantine Casanova, with songs like Clorox Wipe and Six Feet Away. It takes a lot of the more mundane parts of the pandemic and made it sound, well, kind of fun. It started out purely as a joke. Chromio put out these really quick and easy songs and fans just latched onto them. So they later re-recorded the songs and reproduced them in just a couple of weeks and they dropped Quarantine Casanova. All the proceeds for that going towards Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Rights COVID-19 Relief Fund. Back in May, Charlie XDX followed up her acclaimed 2019 self-titled album with How I'm Feeling Now, a much more experimental album made over just six weeks. But she didn't make these songs alone. Instead, she worked with her fan base as well as producers Dylan Brady and A.G. Cook, among a few others, sharing demos, lyrics, and input back and forth with her fan base with the people that she was making the music with, and making something completely unique. Taking some of the glitchier sounds of her mixtapes, kind of, you know, making things a little more fast and loose, but having it absolutely work amazingly. Nine Inch Nails also responded to the pandemic right as it was really taking hold of the world by releasing two albums on March 26th, Ghost 5 and 6. Both instrumental releases, similar to the double album that kicked off Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's other career as film composers, five being more laid back and calming, while Ghost Six leaning more into the chaotic and the darkness that comes with Nine Inch Nails sound. Both fantastic, and they're good for either escaping the chaos of the world or kind of just soaking in it for a while, whichever you're more in the mood for. 2020 also saw the release of some other fantastic albums, including Fiona Apple's big return to the top with Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Dua Lipa released her second album, Future Nostalgia, and I think really secured her place in the mainstream for a long time because of this one. And of course, The Weeknd dropping his biggest album to date, and I think one of the most talked about albums of 2020, After Hours. Another kind of underrated release that I thought from this year was uh, Def Heaven's 10 Years Gone album, which features songs from every part of their career so far re-recorded in the studio as if they were playing live. It would have been a real live album, but of course COVID happened and they had to change around plans for that, but they made the best of a bad situation and this album sounds amazing, even if it is, again, a little rough around the edges. I think it absolutely works for them. Because tours can't happen, many bands and artists have been looking for new ways to play live for people. There have been a few bands that have, unfortunately, ignored all the protocol. But I'm not going to name any names there. They're not even that great anyways. What's been really interesting 
is seeing the bands that have been still maintaining those protocols, but still finding ways to perform and entertain and really bring some joy to people. And I've actually seen this a lot in Canada's country music scene. Um, Alberta's Brett Kissel played six sold-out shows over three days in a casino parking lot in Edmonton back in June with other artists like Gord Bamford and even someone as mainstream as Keith Urban also doing similar types of shows. I'm not sure who did the first drive-in concert, but this looks like it was one of those times where country music was really thinking ahead. And a lot of other bands of all genres followed suit later in 2020. One band that I actually think has come closest to having the most normal concert experience while still keeping things pretty safe is The Flaming Lips, a band known, ironically enough, for some really strange live concerts. And, you know, any other year, this would be super weird, but now I actually think it's kind of cool. They put every single concert goer into plastic bubbles. The Flaming Lips tried this for one show back in October, and it did lead to some bookings that were pushed into January 2021, since cases were on the rise in their home state of Oklahoma. Probably the most common way that people have seen some of these new concerts in 2020 have been over the internet, sometimes in ways that you wouldn't expect either. Artists have streamed from their homes or rehearsal spaces, but some have also gone into video games to do concerts, with Lil Nas X doing a show on Roblox, 100 Gex and Charlie XCX doing concerts in Minecraft, and Fortnite developers Epic Games creating a studio just to host concerts inside the popular shooting game, albeit in a separate non-violent space where users can just hang out instead of actually playing the game, featuring concerts from Deadmau5, Travis Scott, and Dominic Fike throughout the year. And most of these concerts were free to watch for anyone who had the means to get in, but now we're starting to see more bands charge to buy tickets to these virtual shows, which I'm totally in support of. You gotta make money somehow. And I do believe that a lot of the bands that are charging for these concerts are making it worth the cost. In fact, on New Year's Eve, KISS are going to be broadcasting their KISS 2020 Goodbye concert pay-per-view. They're doing that through Live Nation, selling virtual tickets, and even doing some additional goodies for people who want to pay that extra premium. I think tickets go in between $40 all the way up to 1000 depending on how many bonuses that you want to get. It's really cool. Some other bands are even filming private concerts for their superfans. Uh, not too long ago, I saw that Canadian hard rockers The Trues were selling personalized concert videos for a pretty small price. $150 gets you a five-song set dedicated to whoever you bought the concert for. But these were super limited quantity. But still, I think it's a really cool idea, and I wonder if this is something that maybe will happen again in the future. Even without the concert experience in its full form, musicians have been going kind of more behind the scenes and having what looks like a lot of fun, or as much fun as they can under lockdown. Uh, one of the more unique at-home concert experiences that I've seen was from Greg Pichotto, uh, the former frontman for Dillinger Escape Plan. Now doing a solo career, he dropped his first solo album not too long ago and did a live stream show slash release of five brand new songs, which he called F Content, which I absolutely love the name for that. Green Day's Billy Joe Armstrong also did a series of cover songs throughout the year called No Fun Sundays, later releasing a solo cover album. Dave Grohl and producer Greg Kirsten also covering a few songs very recently celebrating the Eight Nights of Hanukkah, 
And throughout 2020, Goldfinger have also recorded a lot of in-studio performances to share during this quarantine. But one of the biggest and most important innovations, in my opinion, came through the website Bandcamp. To help their users out and, of course, get a little bit more good PR, the site started doing something called Bandcamp Fridays. Now, the first Friday of every month between March and December, they would just not take their cut that they would normally ask for from artists. So each day of that month, artists would make every single cent from the music that they sold. No money getting sent to Bandcamp. It would all just go into the artist's pockets. And fans ended up paying artists collectively over half a billion dollars in 2020. No word yet on if this will continue into 2021, but, you know, even with the small percentage that Bandcamp takes to keep their website running, I do strongly encourage everyone to buy music off of Bandcamp whenever they can. And if you're going to release music, make sure you sell it there too. And look around a little bit while you're there. It's the closest thing that we'll get to looking through random stuff in a record store that you can do online. And who knows, maybe you'll find something that you never expected to like. Now, besides these new ideas and concepts that are coming up in the music industry, I can't state enough how much good music came out this year. Even though a lot of music got pushed into 2021, I was still blown away by how much creativity could be found in the few songs and albums that did get released. So I wanted to share my five favorite musical moments of the year. Starting out back in March for 2020, we can pretty much divide the year into pre-pandemic and during pandemic albums. And there were a lot of great releases from the likes of Tame Impala, Lil Wayne, Pet Shop Boys, and Ozzy Osbourne. Through no fault of their own, I kind of feel like a lot of these albums kind of just fell by the wayside in the wake of all the craziness that 2020 brought in. But there's one album that rides that fine line between pre and during pandemic music. Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia, released on March 27th, which to me kind of feels like the day when things really started looking bad. But the way this album sounds, the bright light it shined on this hellish year, made it one of my favorite albums ever. And I think one of the few 2020 albums that I won't associate with the pandemic. I was already a huge Dua Lipa fan before this, but this album just really takes her to that next level for me, you know what I mean? Fast forward a few months, and someone who I didn't really pay much attention to released the most talked about song of 2020. Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion on WAP. Probably one of the dirtiest songs of 2020, or at least the most openly dirty. And again, this song isn't normally my thing, but you know, it has a good beat, it's catchy and I'll gladly listen to it whenever it starts playing. But the thing that I love the most about it might not be the music itself, but what this song does gets people talking. And it feels like it's been a long time since a song has stirred up this much controversy. I have not seen this many, well, prudish people get upset over a song since I learned about the PMRC and the origin of the parental advisory sticker. And... I've also seen a lot of dudes talking about stuff that they have no business explaining. But I like this song, and I really hope that we get more music like it in the near future, because I think we really need more songs that shock people in a good way, and get people talking. Taking a break from the bigger picture of pop culture for a second, I just wanted to get into a couple of my own personal highlights that happened in September. After roughly 10 years, Pendulum dropped a pair of new singles, Driver, which throws back to their really early days, and Nothing For Free, which I think really blends in nicely with more of the songs that they were writing later on in their career. 
but both these songs just fit in so nicely with their back catalog. And unlike a few comebacks that I've seen, they sound amazing and really feel like a breath of fresh air too, kind of mixing like the old with something new. And I just think that's a really great thing. And I really feel like Pendulum have made the best of a bad situation this year. When the pandemic started and a festival that they were supposed to headline got canceled, they moved the entire lineup into their home studio and did one of the first live stream festivals for 2020. And later on, dropping those new songs and setting up a stage on a floating hotel in the UK called Spitbank Fort and doing a mix of DJing with some live music and singing thrown in there too for a really cool concert experience. About a week after that, comedian and YouTube personality Neil Cicerega released an album called Mouth Dreams, the latest in his series of mashup albums. Also his first one in three years. I didn't expect to hear more of it, but I think this might be his best album to date, in my opinion. Doing some really funny things and going to some really weird places with elements of songs by Queen, Johnny Cash, The Talking Heads, Marilyn Manson, Aerosmith, Green Day, and, well, really too much to mention. In fact, it's one of the few albums that I think really has a spoiler warning, so I can't really explain more of this album without ruining the surprise, but trust me, you're gonna love it. And it's one of my favorite albums of 2020, and one of my favorite memories of this year is really tied to this album, so I think I'm really gonna love it forever. And then... Right at the end of the year, music brought us together in a way that I don't even think the pandemic could. There's a lot of things that people at large disagree on, but this year, I think I can say in confidence that we can all think alike on one thing. The Grammys totally suck ass at picking nominations. The biggest issue being that the biggest album of 2020, After Hours by the Weeknd, got completely snubbed in every category that it was eligible for. With The Weeknd himself, Kid Cudi, and even Elton John weighing in on the discussion and just coming out hard against the Grammys. And I gotta say, I have never loved hating something more than I do this. It's almost a relief that this year is over. I, I say almost because we're still not done with this pandemic, but you know, things aren't looking completely dire. I have some optimism, but I refuse to make any hard predictions because I really don't want to jinx anything. But I do have a few hopes specifically for the music industry going forward. I hope that even when we can go back to normal concerts, that bands will also do live streams for their shows for people. It's a great way for fans who either can't go to shows or are just uncomfortable in crowded venues to get their live music fixed. And for fans who would otherwise need to travel to see these concerts too. And I think it would be a great way to find out where more fans are so they can plan out their tours accordingly. I also hope more and more people will buy music on places like Bandcamp or write from the artists themselves. This year especially, it's becoming more obvious that a lot of the time the major labels really aren't necessary. That being said, there are a lot of smaller labels that I'll continue to support as long as they pay the artists well and treat them fairly and actually do work to promote their music without forcing artists to sell out. If they can do that, then I'm all for it, but a lot of the major labels not really need it anymore. Also, I feel like the pandemic really took a lot of attention away from some otherwise great albums, especially the ones that came out before April 2020. So, I hope that some of these albums will get a re-release, maybe a deluxe version, that gives that music the recognition that it deserves and helps get the stank of 2020 off of it. Thanks again for listening to The Tim Gavin Show. Follow me on Facebook, share this with your friends, links to the page in the show notes, along with some sources, my blog, more listening of some of the music that I mentioned here. 
I'm Tim Gavin. I'll talk to you next time.